The experience a patient and their family has with a hospital or healthcare provider can affect a multitude of things clinical outcomes, patient loyalty, and even reimbursement for healthcare services. Success in each of these areas is critical for the survival of rural hospitals. So, how do rural hospitals measure, manage, and act on the patient experience? With good data, humble review, and a determination to keep the patient at the forefront. I'm Rachel Lott. And I'm J.J. Hodshire. And this is Rural Health Rising. Welcome to Episode 47 of Rural Health Rising. I'm J.J. Hodshire, President and Chief Executive Officer of Hillsdale Hospital. And I'm Rachel Lott, Director of Marketing and Development. Well, Rachel, the patient experience. Wow. My favorite two words. It really is. Uh, It's at the center of everything that we do here in healthcare. Uh, We're here for the patient, and had it not been for the patient and not for the patient into the future, we would not be here. We wouldn't have our jobs. We wouldn't have our local economy. Uh, And certainly what we want to look at is what is that relationship? And this is really bigger than whether patients just like us or not. Right. And today we are talking with someone who really understands the patient experience inside and out. That's right, Rachel. Today, our guest is Josh Stafford, Account Director at Press Ganey. Welcome to Rural Health Rising, Josh. Thanks, JJ. Thanks, Rachel. Happy to be here. So to start, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and the work that you do at Press Ganey? Sure. So first and foremost, I'm a native Michigander. I Yay. currently live in, <laughs> right. <laughs> I currently live in the Metro Detroit area and spent most of my, my life here as well. I went to college over in West Michigan at Hope College, which is uh, an institution very similar to, to Hillsdale College. And from there, went south down to Indianapolis, where I got my master's in industrial organizational psychology from IUPUI. So uh, that sounds yeah, many- fascinating. That sounds fun. <laughs> I didn't know that was a thing, but just putting those three wow. words together, I'm like, ooh. So industrial he, organizational is- psychology. Is yeah. this an intervention for me? Is this what this is? <laughs> it wasn't supposed to be. But... I thought this guy, oh, it's about me. All right. Well, well um, you know, that sounds a lot like what uh, the part two of this episode <laughs> might be, but we'll get to that later. We'll get to that later. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I have my master's in industrial organizational psychology, which really boils down to the science of the workplace. You know, how do we use data and research to promote human flourishing at work and ultimately create more effective organizations. And that's really, um, you know, what led me to Press Ganey. So would you like me to talk a little bit about what Press Ganey is? Well, you know what? Uh, We're going to get to that in just a moment, but I'm going to trick you with a question here. Okay. All right. Uh, And I think that you're going to be able to answer it quite well. Um, We've kind of established who you are, a little bit of what what you do, Uh, and we ask this of all of our participants on this program. It allows us to get to know our guests just a little bit more. So we'll start with the why. What is your why? Why do you do the things that you do? What motivates you? And what gets you up out of the bed in the morning? Yeah, so, you know, I love this question, and it's one that we talk about quite a bit at Prescani, and I think... Like many people in healthcare, my why really comes from my own experiences in the healthcare system. Uh, And so I'm actually a survivor of pediatric leukemia. Um, When I was seven, I was diagnosed with ALL, a form of of leukemia. And, you know, the, the night I was diagnosed, I have a distinct memory that I think really plays into my why. Um, You know, and I, at the time I had a blood draw earlier in the day 
And um, my parents got a phone call in the evening saying that they saw something abnormal in my numbers. And it turns out my white count was off the charts. And so had to go into the emergency room. And, you know, as a little seven-year-old kid, um, there was a lot of fear, a lot of uncertainty, you know, as an, as a newer parent now myself, I'm sure that the uncertainty and the fear was actually greater in my dad who was taking me than it was in myself. But, you know, getting to the ER and, and, you know, being prodded and, and poked and, you know, the hustle and bustle of doctors and nurses all around you and not really having any idea what's going on. And, you know, I think at the end of the day, it boils down to, to suffering, um, you know, and what I remember is that there was an interaction that I had with the doctor who diagnosed me where he realized I was wearing a shirt from my favorite hockey team, the Detroit Red Wings. And he told me a story and he said, you know, I, I live next door to one of the players and every night when there's a game, a big black limousine pulls up and this guy you know, comes out of his house and gets into the limo and he goes and he gets taken to the game. And it wasn't for many years later that I realized that that probably wasn't actually true. And that that was actually a story that he told me um, to take my mind off of what was happening. And, and, and what he did in that moment really was make a human connection with me that fundamentally changed my experience that night to this day is still really the only thing I remember from the night that I was diagnosed. And so, you know, I think in healthcare, we have to acknowledge that oftentimes we are meeting people in some of the darkest moments of their lives, that they don't want to be in the system that they're in. Um, and that we're really in the business of human connection and, you know, that healthcare is an industry of connection, maybe more so than any other industry on earth. And it's incumbent upon us who work in the system to try to remove any barriers to that connection that we can. And so at the end of the day, that is really my why. JJ, what do you think about having a third co-host on this podcast? No kidding. <laughs> you know, that was awesome. uh, we've heard over 50 whys in the last year that we've done this. I'm going to tell you, uh, yours stands out alone as uh, probably one of the most remarkable I've heard. Thank you. Um, to take it from a personal testimony uh, and then do something great with it. I mean, you you got into an industry that works with the patient experience. And, you know, Josh, I, I couldn't think of, a, my goodness, a better story to tell and a better storyteller than you. For our listeners, can you share a little bit about Press Gainey? I mean, so you had... You had this early on diagnosis. You know you want to help uh, others. You know you want to go into healthcare. You know why didn't you become a doctor? Why Pressgany? What is Pressgany? Tell our audience a little bit more about what Pressgany does. Yeah, so you know, health Pressgany is really a healthcare experience analytics and improvement company. So you know, we measure the experience of patients, of members of insurance plans, of employees and physicians within healthcare systems. You know, anybody who touches healthcare in any way, we collect data um, on, on them. Uh, and with really the goal of improving the lives of everybody who works in the system. You know, so we help organizations collect all sorts of data, clinical data, safety data, patient experience, employee engagement, um, you know, all of these different metrics that are then used to, you know, understand the experience of, of patients, of caregivers, and of the organizations as a whole. Um, and so, you know, we're able to take that data, distill it down into key insights. We have wonderful advisors and consultants that then partner with our clients in 
um, you know, really help them understand the data, leverage the technology in which the data exists, you know, and ultimately improve the lives of, of all of the people within the system. So that's really what we do. And as a footnote, Rachel, Josh is actually involved with Prescani as it relates to Hillsdale Hospital. Right. Because uh, we utilize that service. And um, Josh, you do a phenomenal job for rural hospitals like ours. And I want to thank you and commend you for that because what you're doing is helping us get additional feedback that we need to improve our processes. So I'm excited about this conversation because I'm very passionate about patient experience and its relationship to so many other aspects of healthcare. I teach our new employees um, two hours of education on patient experience when they go through their general orientation. Um, but back when I first started working in healthcare uh, six or seven, eight years ago, gosh, I don't even know now. How old am I? What year is it? Um, in the before times, before COVID. Uh, but several years ago, when I had started working in healthcare, this term um, patient experience, sometimes called service excellence or patient satisfaction, um, there's several different names for it. I think patient experience is the most appropriate description. Um, but what is that? What are we really talking about? Um, it's somewhat intuitive, but also there's a little more to it than what you might just think. And why is it so important? Yeah, so I think your point about it about satisfaction not being fully appropriate is a good one um, because it's so much more than simply do we have satisfied, happy patients, right? And so, you know, we're talking about patient experience. The whole idea really stems from our namesake here at Press Ganey, Doctors Press and Dr. Ganey, uh, you know, who are professors at Notre Dame and, and came up with this idea that we need to have a different way of assessing the quality of healthcare outside of purely clinical outcomes. It's more than just, did you get better or did you not get better? Um, you know, really, we need to have some focus on what was the experience of the patient like while they were in our care, you know, and an, an acknowledgement in a way that, um, that people are suffering when they're in the system and that uh, it's not just physical suffering, it's mental, it's emotional suffering as well. And so, um, you know, they, they really came up with this idea that we need to, to think about things slightly differently. So, you know, fast forward to today and the way that we define patient experience here at Prescania is really three pronged. It's safe, high quality, and patient-centered care. All three of those criteria are necessary for a positive patient experience, right? So patients' perceptions of their care uh, and their care experience can be considered really a surrogate for the degree to which the organization delivered on its promise to provide safe, high quality and patient-centered care. Um, and, you know, the safety element of it is absolutely critical. You know, you may hear organizations make commitments to zero harm, things like that. Um, that's because you can't have high quality care if the care isn't safe. You're not putting the patient at the center of everything that you do if, um, if the care that you're providing isn't safe. And so, you know, that aspect of it is absolutely critical. Um, you know, something we'll touch on in, in maybe a future episode, we'll see is uh, the idea that you can't do this without engaged and resilient care teams. You know, you can't deliver on uh, those three criteria of the patient experience time and time again, if you don't have people that are committed to the organization that want to be here um, you know, and that are engaged in their work. And so, you know, when it comes to why is it important, um, it's important because patient experience in terms of the data, 
uh, patient experience scores are tied to so many other things. Um, they're related to a number of other metrics, such as safety scores, clinical indicators, um, workforce engagement, return on investment, things like that. So, you know, there are all of these linkages that exist um, between the patient experience and all of these other outcomes that are so, so important. And really, when we're talking about rural health in particular, JJ, you've spoken on the program before about how tight the margins are and how, you know, you need to be doing things that, um, you know, provide the best care for your patients and ultimately uh, are in the financial interest of the organization. And patient experience is absolutely one of those things. Absolutely. You know, I really, I'm going to take you up on your offer to be on our program in the future, uh, because I do want to talk about the resilient workforce and the challenges that we face with a exhausted, tired, burnt out workforce after facing, you know, COVID uh, and the challenges that we face in the great resignation uh, and all these other challenges of the workforce working longer hours. Uh, it does have an impact on their psyche, has an impact on their practice acumen, their clinical acumen, which then in turn has a relationship with the patient. I want to save that for another episode, and I'd like to have you back on. Would you take us up on that? Absolutely. All right. So for rural hospitals, you know, you're in the metro hospital area. You got the big systems all around you. They got 16 quality officers, 27 assistants, got all that good stuff. It's us, our bench strength, you know, it's pretty, pretty small. Can I have 27 assistants? You can have none, but, <laughs> oh, but we it. have, you know. You always got to ask. Yeah, we, you, you do. <laughs> and, and here we are, you know, we're, we're in rural America and uh, looks much different. Uh, than metropolitan hospitals. Uh, and for rural hospitals in particular, as we talk about uh, patient satisfaction and Prescani's relationship, you know, there are some rural unique challenges when we start talking about managing the patient experience in these communities. You know, for our audience today, what are those and how do rural hospitals address them? Yeah, so you touched on a big one there um, when you talked about the number of quality officers. And all you have to do is, is look at Rachel's title to know that people wear a lot of hats. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't think this audience knows my whole title because I don't say the whole thing in the beginning. We don't, but there's but like it's six marketing, or seven. development, community outreach, and governmental affairs, director of all of those things. So, and yeah, director right. of volunteers. Don't forget that. Oh, yeah, that's new. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, with rural health, there's a lot of people working that are wearing a ton of different hats. And I think a lot of the time, one of the things that we see is patient experience is just one of those things and or managing the patient experience data, leading the improvement efforts around patient experience or something that simply get tacked on to somebody who already has a ton on their plate. Um, and so, you know, that's something that, that many community hospitals, critical access hospitals, um, you know, really struggle with is it's a lack of uh, ability to truly focus on it because nobody's really leading the charge. And so I think, you know, when we talk about um, culture, you know, patient experience really needs to be part of the culture and, and culture is something that is set at the top and flows down. And so there has to be visibility uh, among senior leadership and, and some level of ownership from senior leadership as it relates to the experience that our patients are going to have. And, you know, making sure that folks are accountable for um, understanding the data that they receive um, and, you know, really kind of steering the ship in that regard. So I think that's one of the major things that we see 
um, when it comes to challenges. You know, the other challenge um, is really around just uh, how do we get data, right? Um, smaller end sizes push back around, um, you know, some of the uh, some of the smaller numbers that we may see. Yeah. Um, you know, and so that that's a challenge too. And I think the first that really starts with making sure that we're doing everything we can to get as much data as we can, first and foremost, right? So um, are we talking about the fact that patients are going to be getting a survey, um, you know, around discharge? We're not trying to influence scores, but, you know, are we giving people a heads up that, hey, we'd appreciate your feedback? Um, you know, another thing is considering the modality that we're using to collect data. So uh, Prescani these days, 83% of our surveys are sent digitally. Um, whether that's an email survey or a text survey, you know, CMS still has regulations around, um, you know, requiring a, a paper survey or a phone survey to go out for, for some of the regulatory programs. But, um, you know, even then, there are differences in terms of uh, what modes work best for certain organizations. So, you know, the vast majority of our clients use mail surveys for the regulatory piece of things. That doesn't mean that there aren't organizations or communities out there, particularly in rural America, where phone surveys uh, actually work better and collect more data because people pick up the phone. You know, I mean, these days, I think I uh, saw a recent Pew Research study that showed that 80% of people don't answer numbers they, they don't know. And that extends across different demographic groups. And so it's more and more challenging to collect data using a phone in many circumstances, but not in all circumstances. So, you know, making sure that we're partnering closely with um, with our clients to understand, you know, what's the best way for us to collect as much data as we possibly can. So that's the, that's kind of the first piece when we're talking about smaller end sizes. I think, you know, from there, it's how are we looking at this data um, in order to look at it in a way where people uh, take it seriously and, and, you know, consider it to be valid. And so, you know, first and foremost, we don't want to do anything in terms of looking at trending or making decisions on groups less than 30. Um, you know, that's just a good general practice. Um, so when we're talking about smaller organizations, maybe one of the things we do is instead of looking at your data on a monthly basis, maybe we look at things quarterly. Maybe we look at a rolling 12 months or a rolling six months worth of data in order to give the data a little stability and a little bit of trending um, that we can see. So I think, I think that's a lot of it. Um, those, are, those are two of the really big challenges that we do encounter when we're talking about patients experience in rural America. Yeah. And I would, I, and Rachel and I've talked about this before and looking at some of our quality metrics uh, and, you know, trying to compete for maybe some of the U.S. News or World Report and some of those things, leapfrog, whatever it is, that because of our small in value, all it takes is one fallout and we're done. Yeah. You know, we're not, we don't have the luxury of having a large in value, the number of participants, the number of people that we see for a particular procedure, maybe. And we're mm -hmm. analyzing that procedure, but maybe we only have three of those procedures in a given year, which we did find in one of our surveys, and you had one fallout. Now you're way out of compliance. Doesn't re represent the, the good of all the things that we do. But to your point, and this is an important point for rural hospitals, for hospitals in general, but culture will eat strategy every day. And so it's about improving our culture and making right. sure we have that culture of accountability with our staff that every patient, every time always, which is one of our mottos here, is so important that we invest in them and create that culture of treating the patient as if we would want to be treated or our loved ones. 
you know, when we look at that smaller denominator, you know, how should we look at those bad experiences? You know, so we had a fallout and a patient commented that a particular nurse, you know, wasn't engaging and that information wasn't given on discharge, whatever it is, that bad experience. You know, so how do we look at those bad experiences when they come up in our data and how do we manage those to keep them to a minimum and and prevent this? Well, that's just so-and-so, you know, or, well, we looked at that patient. She complains about everything. And we can do that in rural health. Do you know that? We can, we know like, oh, I bet you that was room 107. I've had nurse leaders do that all the time. We get the results back mm-hmm. in some of the voice of the patients from, from Press Ganey telling us, you know, what those comments were. And we have had nurse leaders sit around the table, Rachel, swear, and said, oh, yeah, that was 108. I remember her because this happened or because her husband was yelling, whatever it is. Right. Well, and then I- it's easy to say, well, if it weren't for her, this is what our actual score would exactly. be. Exactly. So we should really just be thinking about that. So how do we combat that, Josh? Yeah, you know, it's true that you're never going to please everybody. Um, it, it and your margin for error in rural health and in smaller organizations is smaller than it is in a larger, uh, larger organization. So you know, part of it goes back to to making sure you're looking at things in a large enough time span. You know, the other thing that I would encourage is, you know, at the end of the day, surveys are a tool and sometimes an imperfect tool but they're a tool to collect the voice of the patient. Um, And so I think it's important for us to keep that in mind as we look at this data that, um, you know, would you write off feedback if somebody walked into your office and and told it to you to your face? Maybe not, Um, you know, but the fact that it's coming in through paper or on a computer screen, um, you know, all of a sudden, you know, we're willing to do that. And so, you know, there are going to be challenging patients. There are going to be patients out there that, you know, use the survey as a, as a way to vent and things like yeah. that. But at the end of the day, if we kind of marry that back with the remembering that people are often scared, people are often anxious and people are often suffering, um, you know, then it, it helps us to take a more empathetic view of that data and, and hopefully use it to improve. And, you know, Josh, it could have been the nurse's 50th time dealing with that particular issue, but it's the patient's first time properly dealing with that. And so, you know, we constantly drill that into the minds of our staff at every level. You know, I know I say nurses, but patient experience is about the environmental services worker coming in the room, make sure it's clean. That's one of the domain questions that is asked and making sure that the food, you know, was appropriate and those type of things. So it's that uh, importance of, you know, I'm an old shoe at this. I've been doing it 30 years. I've seen and heard everything. But for that patient's first experience in our facility, uh, this is their first time dealing with these type of issues. And I think oftentimes, Rachel, we get a little callous. Right. And that becomes an excuse. Mm -hmm. And it should not be. Well, and that's something I teach our staff um, at General Orientation when I teach patient experience is that, you know, our patients are coming in here and they feel like they're in our world 
and that it's not built for them. But it should be built for them, right? Mm -hmm. The camp is not for the counselors. It's for the campers. Um, And something you said, Josh, that I also just a really good, as JJ knows, I like to speak in metaphors and analogies and stuff. (laughs) But one of the one of the kind of visuals that I give them is this picture of a guy who's like halfway bent over and he's got like eight giant suitcases stacked up on his back. And I'm like, listen, every patient who comes in here is bringing in baggage. So just picture that this is what they actually look like when they come in. We Mm -hmm. don't know what's in their baggage. It could be, like you said, fear, um, how they were treated by another healthcare provider in the past, so they're not very trusting. It could be money because they don't know, and half the time we don't know how much they're really going to have to pay at the end of the day for the service. Um, Time, all of those things really contribute to how is someone interacting with us when they come into our hospital. So one of the things I try to um, to instill in our team is that you have to change the lens through which you're viewing your patients yeah. and not just think about, well, this is so-and-so who's being rude to me. You have to think about, you know, this woman just say, say we have a 90 year old woman comes in and she's upset, but maybe she just lost her husband of 50 years yesterday. Right. So right. those are the things that we have to kind of think about. Um, and then aside from the whole one feeling like one experience might tank the whole score. Um, another challenge that we in particular in Hillsdale have faced as a rural hospital is when our data doesn't necessarily seem to line up from if we're if really if we're even just looking at HCAPS questions, which are the ones that CMS uses for reimbursement and value-based purchasing. We'll have to have John Robertson on about that because I can only give the dumbed-down version of what all that means. But, um, you know, the majority of our survey questions, we have really high scores. Um, Our nurses are performing better than 85% of uh, other hospitals in in the country. Um, But when it comes to the question, how would you rate this hospital overall on a scale of (laughs) 0 to 10, 0 being the worst hospital possible, 10 being the best hospital possible, how would you rate this hospital? Um, You know, that score always seems to come out lower than you would think based on how good our scores are in all these other areas. Um, So what is that about (laughs) and how do we fix it? Because we have our ideas uh, of why that's happening. Yep, we do. um, And, you know, we're having to very carefully decide, yeah, yeah, how how much time and effort do we really need to to give to this? Um, But, yeah, what's that all about? And, And is that happening in other rural hospitals? Yes. So the first answer is yes, you're not alone in seeing your global metrics scoring a little bit differently than some of your other domains. Um, It is something that we see uh, in the smaller database in particular of hospitals that are less than 50 beds. Um, We do tend to see uh, a bit of a difference in terms of how those global metrics score compared to other domains. And it's a bit of a tricky one because What's happening is a little bit of human psychology creeping into uh, the survey instrument in the sense that when you're thinking about rating a hospital zero to 10, or you're thinking about your likelihood to recommend, oftentimes the big brand hospitals get kind of stacked up next to the organization that's being rated. Um, and so, you know, that that's one reason why that can kind of happen sometimes is, you know, people are thinking, oh, well, if 10 is, you know, the best hospital possible, University of Michigan or, or what have you, you know, then where does, you know, whatever hospital I'm rating fall, 
And that's kind of one of the issues that that we see. So you're not alone in that. You know, the other thing is when we're talking about particularly like likelihood to recommend, for example, there's because that one does tend to score lower generally um, Mm -hmm. than Mm -hmm. even the rate the zero to 10 question. And there's just a lot of different factors that go into uh, a question like that. Um, It's very loyalty based, things like that. And so, um, you know, it is it is a bit tricky. So. The other thing is that, you know, those two items really are lagging indicators. So oftentimes a lot of the work that organizations will do and when it comes to improving the patient experience by addressing things such as their, their nurses or meals or what have you, they may see the changes in those scores first and the lagging indicators will come after that. So really they're outcome metrics and it's the outcome metrics are something we'll talk about, you know, when we talk about engagement you know, is, you know, these are things that are driven by other things, so to speak. And so uh, oftentimes we don't see those scores catch up. You know, we're talking about what to do, um, you know, really looking at what are the top drivers of those global metrics? How can we be really intentional in terms of the behaviors that we want people to focus on uh, in order to drive those? Uh, and then also looking at the distribution of responses, because, you know, what's what happens and what's tough with a top box, right, is when you're looking at rate zero to 10, for example, your nines and tens are the only answers that count. So if you look at your distribution of responses um, for those items, what you may find is that you have a number of seven and eights and a vast majority of, of those. And so understanding, you know, what can we do, if anything, to move the needle on those folks who are given a seven and eights and you get them into the nine and 10 category. And, and Rachel, you and I have talked about that repeatedly. How do you move the seven and eights to nines and tens? And that there within is really our challenge. You know, they have a wonderful experience. They, they enjoyed their stay, but you know what? Overall, eh, seven, eight. Right. It's you know, not but, the Mayo Clinic. Yeah, it's not. Yeah, exactly. And so then you go, well, we did everything right. Right. You know, and and that becomes the challenge. So, Josh, for small rural hospital CEOs that are listening to this podcast, you know, what what tools does Press Ganey give for us to engage in that? Well, you know, I think a big one is, is our advisors, honestly. Um, you know, we... We have a very skilled advisory team, many of whom are uh, former clinicians themselves who have worked in the environment, who come from rural health. And, you know, what we see is that our organizations that are more successful are the organizations that engage with us most deeply, um, that, you know, talk to us monthly or talk to us quarterly, um, you know, that we're able to really share our best practices because we have a ton of data. We have a ton of insights. And things that we've learned from you know over 30 years of doing this work, uh, and you know, oftentimes it's a, it's a particular issue that you know you might not be able to diagnose uh, just from looking at the dashboard yourself. And so you know that that's really the big thing I think is you know leaning into our expertise. Now, we've been talking about some of the challenges we face in rural, but just like with quality, when we've done episodes talking about that, we also have some advantages in in rural hospitals. So um, from your perspective and with all the data and experience that you guys have, what are those advantages for rural hospitals? Right. You know, and so I think that patient experience, as I mentioned before, is something that really 
is it needs to be baked into the culture. And so, you know, like anything culture related starts at the top, it flows down and, and culture can really in large organizations be like an ocean liner takes forever to turn it around. I think at smaller community hospitals, I think culture can be more like a sailboat, you know, and I think JJ, to your point, you know, you talked about the hand hygiene example that you've used and how quickly you were able to make a, you know, a really fundamental change, you know, in this case, in a kind of a direction of quality, you know, the same thing can be done as it relates to patient experience. You're able to identify gaps, put uh, interventions in place as it relates to the patient experience and do it quicker than a, than a larger organization would be able to do it. And so, you know, I look back at, you know, your every patient, every time, always, it's easier to standardize, um, things across a smaller organization and fewer people than it is across a larger organization. And so, you know, the other thing going back to, um, you know, healthcare as an industry of human connection, it's easier to make those connections, I think, in a smaller organization um, where oftentimes you're seeing fewer people or, you know, the people you're seeing are your community members. They're, they're people who you know, who you go to church with, who you, mm-hmm. you know, see at the grocery store. Um, you know, it's easy to make that human connection. And, you know, all of this combined leads to the fact that we see higher scores uh, in a number of different areas when we're looking at the smaller database and we're looking at smaller organizations um, they do provide uh, an equal and oftentimes better patient experience than than larger ones. Great point, and one in which we live every day, Josh. You know, we are dealing with this, uh, colleagues of mine around the state and, and even around the country that we talk with that talk about, you know, forming committees, and then it has to go through executive, and then it gets up, and, you know, we're talking eight and nine months. You know, we have implemented things in a 24-hour period here. True story. And we've been able to change it. That's the beauty of small, uh, but it's obviously also, you know, the challenge of being small is that when you roll this out, you got to implement it. There's not a host of people to do it. So, you know, being rural, it's, it has its great advantages, as you've indicated. For those who have tuned in today to our podcast, uh, we're talking with Josh from Press Ganey, uh, who's sharing with us the opportunities that hospitals like ours, Hillsdale Hospital, have to engage with their patients, to learn and get feedback from those patients to improve their processes. So, you know, Josh, it's been great to have you on this program today. We've enjoyed thoroughly uh, all of the things that you have presented. I look forward to having you back on the program here very soon to discuss some uh, other important areas of patient experience and culture and some other things. And I just want to, again, thank you for your time and commitment today. Thank you very much for having me, JJ. I appreciate it. Now, before we close, we do a fun segment with each of our guests. Um, so we want to know, what is your most unique rural experience or one of your favorite memories that's unique to rural life. Now I know you're up in the, you know, the metropolis, but (laughs) if you have any of those unique experiences, share with us what that experience was. Yeah. So, you know, being in Michigan, I think Northern Michigan is one of the great hidden secrets of the Midwest. And uh, there's a lot of rural areas up there and I've been fortunate enough to spend a lot of summertime uh, up in the Northern part of the state and, you know, what comes to mind is, you know, my, one of my all-time favorite places is, uh, I'm an avid golfer and there's a little nine hole golf course up in Northern Michigan, outside of the town of East Jordan. 
And it, you know, it is golf in its purest form. It's a, you know, a dirt parking lot. It's, you know, you can show up and play in a t-shirt and, you know, jean shorts if you want to. And, um, you know, there's a, a quarry on the side of one of the hills and the, you know, we've known the family that runs the course for going on 30 years now. It's where I learned to play golf. Uh, and I play it every summer with my brothers now. And, uh, you know, the owner of the course is the, um, the, you know, the fry cook as well as the bartender. And so it's, a it's a really special place, uh, for me. And I've got a lot of great memories up there and it's, you know, it's golf with no pretenses and it's part of rural America. That is rule. Who knew there was such a thing as golf courses golf with no pretenses. Oh, okay. you know? well, I mean, you just hear of golf as being like the, like a snooty sport, but you know, well, it's, it's really not, I think it's it gets not. the reputation, but yeah. that's a perfect example of how it can just be, you know, the so golf course back. we go to has the windmill and then, or no, that's putt-putt. I'm sorry. Oh that's yeah. Different. That's the only kind of golf that, club I've ever swung. Pretty much me putt-putt. too, but. And not very well. I'll, I'll absolutely. Add. <laughs> well, Michigan certainly offers some beauty, doesn't it, Josh? And we're, it does. you know, very glad to live in this great state of Michigan. And, and again, uh, you know, we're just so excited that you were able to join us today. Uh, Next time on Rural Health Rising, we continue the conversation with Josh in part two, the state of the caregiver. So be sure to tune in. And with that, don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you hear, leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and tell others why they should listen too. Your feedback helps more listeners find Rural Health Rising. You can also now find us on Twitter. I'm at Hillsdale CEO JJ, Rachel at Rural Health Rach. And you can also follow the podcast at Rural Health Pod. Until next time, stay safe. Stay healthy and stay strong. Rural Health Rising is a production of Hillsdale Hospital in Hillsdale, Michigan, and a proud member of the Health Podcast Network. Hosted by J.J. Hodshire and Rachel Lott. Audio engineering and original music by Kenji Ulmer. Special thanks to today's guest, Josh Stafford, Account Director at Press Gainey. For more episodes, interviews, and more information, visit RuralHealthRising.com. For folks who don't know what I.O. is, it's... um... You know, it's really the the science of the workplace. Oh, hang on, we've got a bird coming. We in. got a helicopter landing. I'm no, sorry. No, no, you're fine. Can you hear it? Nope. But sorry. This happens every now and then. No, you're fine. <laughs>